Guru Nation, thank you for checking out another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. If this is your first time here, or maybe not, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, leave a review. I really appreciate it. I wanted to get my sponsors out of the way. The first one is my DSCS site network. We help sites get studies, help them do their budgets, help them with SOPs, a shoulder to cry on, anything you can think of. We help sites across the country do. The more sites in our network, the easier it is for us to get studies and from sponsors and CROs directly. If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes, a low monthly subscription fee. That's my company. Also, CRA Academy. If you're interested in learning how to become a CRA, check out the CRA Academy. The only program out there with a real internship opportunity through my CRO for all graduates of the Academy. Also, CRC Academy, same thing, but for coordinators with real internship opportunities. And now I wanted to get to my sponsors who help make this show consistently available to you and well-produced. First one is Viva Site Vault. Links in the show notes. Free electronic investigator site file. Free digital signatures. Free delegation of authorities log, all digital, go paperless. It's completely free. If you ever wanted to try going digital, at least for the investigator site file, check out Viva, link in the show notes. Next is Versatrial. It keeps your study portals organized. It's collaborative. So all staff at your site can get access and use it. We have 12 15 links sometimes per study to different portals. This keeps everything in one place. It keeps all your passwords. So it's just one click. And it also has an amazing feasibility tool to help you do feasibility surveys a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently for free. Next sponsor is Creo. This is the only one that's not free, but I think it's well worth it. It's eSource, it's eReg, it's CTMS, it's patient recruitment, it's patient payments. And you don't need to try all those things at once. You pay for what you need, but it is amazing. Once you start using it, most likely for the e-source, you're gonna want the CTMS. You're gonna want the automatic invoicing. So when you click on your e-source, dry ice was used for a lab, it will automatically send the invoice to the sponsor for the dry ice, saves you time. Countless things like this in Creo, amazing tool, check it out. Next sponsor is Inato for experienced sites. If you wanna get studies for free, Inato's the way to go. I just got my first study recently through Inato. It did take a few studies for me to filter through, but Inato actually does a really good job of making sure that it's a study that you actually wanna take. And they even do one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls with you and your PI or whomever from the site wants to join to see if a study is the right fit for you. And it's absolutely free. They get nothing out of it. I think the sponsors pay them on the back end. And it's amazing. So check it out. Inato, link underneath in the show notes, free. Finally, my last sponsor, 1N Health. This is a central patient recruitment vendor. They currently do not work with sites. But if you're a sponsor or a CRO, they are the best. I've used all of them. I've been doing this for 17 years plus. They are the best leads, the best interface for coordinators. You can text patients directly from the portal. 
they literally saved one of my studies recently, both at my site. We were just screen failing patients left and right until we finally used one end health and we got ourselves a respectable randomization number all through one end health. And they also did this entire study wide sponsor was able to end enrollment successfully because of them. I've never used, I've never been a fan of central patient recruitment vendors. This is the best one. Check them all out. Links in the show notes. Live, 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 live. We are live. Okay. Some of us are. That's right. Some of us more than others. Yep. Look at before anything else, SOS conference 2224. It's getting serious. It's getting crunch time. Saveoursites.com. We're still uh, getting people to buy tickets. We're still getting sponsors. Even though somehow the cutoff, we're beyond the cutoff date for sponsors. Yet two new sponsors um, recently joined. And then one or two more, I think, are interested right now. So I don't know. We're going to have to cut that off soon, too. But I'm looking right now live at the tickets. By the way, we're going to be discussing, like you read, in this uh, description, an FDA warning letter. So those are always fun. People like juicy stuff. This was sent to me by someone. I think this might be a regular thing. Just read FDA warning warning letters like maybe once a month, once a week. I don't know. I don't know. It's last one I did solo. Then I had Darshan on a little bit. And now this one I was like, you know, I was waiting for Brad's live, but it didn't happen today. So felt like going live. Well, Darshan would certainly be a good guest for a warning letter. Well, he already was. So now we got to give our own opinions as side owners. Right. And by the way, guys, what makes this even better? Me and Chris have not read this yet. So we don't know if it's going to be good, bad, boring. I have no clue. But let's get into it. Here's the warning letter. Antonio Blanco, so Dr. Blanco from Vista Health Research. I don't, you know, I don't know if I feel right about like publicly shaming people, but I think there's like a, I, there's like a educational component of this that I think is important. I mean, these are public. The point is not to publicly shame. And on the last one, I refrained from even using the name. This one. It's live, so I read it by accident, but that's not the point. You know, I don't know anything about this PI. What we do know is that majority of PIs don't have PI oversight, so this should be a warning letter for all you guys and gals watching. Hey, it's in right. Miami. Yeah. I like, I like where it's at, Miami. Go figure. Right. So here's the warning letter, okay, and we're going to go through, like, Issue by issue. And one thing Darshan pointed out to me is like these warning letters just show the most serious things they found. They don't show like every single issue. They just show the more serious of the issues that the FDA found. Uh, And I lost Chris, but maybe we'll get him back. Chris is here. Okay. You're all right. Okay. You got a cold. Ah. So again, these warning letters, they're just a summary of like the most important things the FDA found. It's not like a CRA action items and all that. So whatever you see, there's a lot more underneath it, says Darshan. Okay, but, so but, look at this. But these things that are underneath are minor. 
probably findings that are found at every site, right? Something like that, I assume, is what Darshan said. I assume that, too. Okay. Um, but these would be the ones that would constitute a, the actual warning letter. Yeah. So this, first of all, the FDA doesn't just come to your site for 20 days, 19 days, unless they have a reason to be there. That's a whole hell of a long time for the FDA. Well, you missed the last warning letter one. It was 30 days on site. Oh, my goodness. I could not even imagine. So what Darshan said, what's going on there, and we'll confirm at SOS, Pat Stone will be there. Patrick Stone, former FDA auditor, confirmed he will be there. Is that when they stay that long, the FDA has been there before, and they've found similar issues on shorter stints. And they're still having similar issues, you know, on repeat audits. So I would also assume, it definitely could be incorrect, but I, I would make the assumption that they're looking at numerous studies, not just one. Uh, yeah, so it's days. right here, protocol B4. So for this one, it was just one protocol. Okay. But 30 but it, days, that's a long time. I, you can get through probably a couple studies in 30 days, I would assume. For that study, for that previous audit that you guys can watch or listen to, it was the main study and the extension study. Okay. So they the thing here is, this is what Darshan pointed out, because luckily I've never had FDA audit. Knock on wood here. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of the reasons we're doing these warning letters is to learn ourselves too, right? Sure. Like, I know I go back and apply it to the site and uh, you guys should be as well. This is not when they stay this long again from Darshan and I trust him and Pet Stone. This is not a one-time audit. This is not like the first audit. Like the first audit, usually they'll stay one or two days. Then they'll give them reason to like, Hey, you know, make sure these are fixed. And then if they see like years later, Hey, the same issues, going on well then come back and stay longer so anyways let's get into it apparently it's just one protocol so far as long as long as we see b4 it's one protocol here's the subject are b6 so that's how they differentiate uh, but protocol is still one protocol b4 so 19 days right and by the way if you guys have comments uh, Becky says that's a long visit. Poor staff. I agree. That's a very long agree. visit. <laughs> Poor I completely staff. agree. I wonder how many quit like halfway through that audit. <laughs> I wonder, high enrollment. And I wonder how often the uh, the PI is expected to be available during those 19 days. I mean, probably at the beginning and the end. I mean, I don't know. They're not mandated anything, so... Well, I know, but I'm sure the PI's best interest to want to be there. Sure, and I'm sure the FDA does have an expectation. I just like a CRA; it's at the end of their visit, right? So, um, I don't think the FDA has actual expectations, though. Okay. I think by the time they audit, they're just looking at whether you should continue to do research or not. And receiving a warning letter is essentially a scarlet letter. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not officially a ban from research. Well, it can be. Right, but this warning letter is not officially a ban from research. Right. 
This is just a warning letter. The FDA can only do that in like cases of fraud or like complete negligence. Okay, but so for all es- essential purposes, this is a ban because sponsors all ask, "Have you received any warning letters?" And basically, you're not getting a study. Right. So Clara says probably high enrollment, lots of ICFs to look at. Well, let's see, Clara. You know, let's not jump the gun because I haven't looked at this either. So, and neither has Chris. And I'm hoping this PI is not a client of ours. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think so? I don't well, know. Well, if he is, he's not going to need our services anymore anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Well, Chris got one in. Good joke, man. All right. Hopefully, guys and gals, you learn from this. Okay, so... Uh, at the conclusion of the inspection, the investigator light, which is the FDA investigator presented and discussed the form, uh, 483. We acknowledge receipt of your February 17th written response from our review, the FDA establishment inspection report, the documents submitted with that report. It appears that you did not adhere to the applicable statutory requirements in the CFR. So let's just skip all that. You failed to ensure that the investigation was conducted according to the protocol, which is CFR 312.60 for those of you nerds that care. Uh, so protocol B4, certain inclusion criteria need to be met before enrollment into the study. In addition, this protocol required you perform certain safety procedures at specific time points. You failed to adhere specifically. The following subjects were randomized without any documentation of surgical diagnosis of whatever condition they are or, or established by visualization or histology within 10 years before the subject's entry into the washout period. So uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent real quick. Just because I was... Please confused. don't. I have a call at top of the hour. Uh, I was confused a little bit, so I Googled what's the difference between a warning letter and a 483, which basically confirms what Darshan said. So the 483 is what precedes this. This is the same in line with the 483. The 483 is, hey, there's issues here. Correct these. The right. warning letter is, okay, it, this is severe because you're not taking action on right. what you were previously cited on. Right. Okay. And that would ma- explain why. Thank you, Chris, for confirming what we said five minutes ago. Uh, but, that did, but, but you didn't yeah, say any. You did not you say anything about a 483. So I had to look it up. Yeah, you had to fact check it. It's good. This way, good man. This is amazing. Fact fact checkers here. So yeah, Darshan was right. But this is why, like, like again, they don't come that that long unless it's a repeat visit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. And. Apparently, it's the same issues they've had. So, inclusion, exclusion criteria, guys, the theme from the last warning letter was there's a difference, at least in the FDA's opinion, between inadvertently looking over, like, forgetting to do something versus knowing you have to do it and still not doing it. Yeah. And the FDA does take that into consideration. They don't just want to give warning letters to people. Like you just said, the 483 is first. And even that's a death knell oftentimes in your, if you're the PI in your research uh, yeah. career. So an escalation of that, yeah, definitely. You're, definitely, you're right? 
but yeah. yeah yeah so in in february the written response you acknowledged that subject records were incomplete but that you believed all subjects met inclusion criteria you further stated retroactively that you located the surgical reports for three subjects and provided copies in addition you stated that you were in the process of obtaining surgical reports for the remaining five subjects uh you also stated that a part of your corrective plan you will review current procedures so basically going through and making sure the ie criteria and then the fda says we acknowledge the actions however your written response is inadequate because the three surgical reports you provided that document medical encounters and surgical procedures took place or were performed for each of these subjects more than 10 years before the subject's entry into washout which was a direct exclusion criteria as such the documentation does not support the eligibility of subjects um so it looks like two subjects in addition your response is inadequate because you did not include sufficient details about your corrective action plan for example you did not provide sufficient details about the implementation of the proposed procedures and practices being in, being instituted at your site to ensure compliance particularly subject eligibility what do we teach all the time chris if you do nothing else, don't randomize patients that don't belong in the study. Yeah. Uh, I, the two worst errors, of course, are not consenting your patient. Don't think it can get worse than that. And then secondary to that would be uh, misrandomizing. Right. And then in this case, like, they knowingly are doing it. Are doing it because they've enrolled other patients where they were able to get their records. Yeah. Right. It's not like a one-off mistake where, hey, you know, we forgot to check this yep. level in the in the plasma or we did check it but we we failed to see that it's like slightly less than what the protocol allows and on one patient i mean it would be the equivalent of knowing they wouldn't qualify and then still doing it. yep that's well, that is what they're doing i mean what uh and that's why i laughed or chuckled at uh, the fact that this is to a miami site miami's notorious for this yeah the last one was a uh, philadelphia site Let's pause and go through some of these comments real quick. Uh, somebody says they meet with the PI in the beginning and end of the inspections to debrief. Okay, that would but make the, sense. But to Chris's point, if you're a PI that's like serious about this, you're meeting with them regularly to show them, hey, okay, yeah, maybe our capital plan didn't do that. I can put something else in place. Then you know, like something showing them something that you're willing to change. So the. See, I'm not sure that's correct because maybe for your first audit. Yeah, well, sponsors tell you, at least as far as I know, they tell you just basically answer yes and no. Do not talk, right? It's outside of pretty much just saying yes and no at these audits. So, as a PI, do you want to be there? Yes. Just constantly and grilled and probably say something, stick in your not foot. Not constantly, not constantly, but I would make it daily touch points. And you have to think why the sponsor's saying that. The sponsor's saying that to protect themselves, not you. I suppose that's true. But at the same time, you just you don't want to offer evidence of something. No, you don't. No, you don't. I didn't say to go in there and like say things. Just go in there and say, hey, what were the findings for today? Okay, we're going to work to make sure, you know, just like vague stuff. But like give them the idea that you're committed and you have oversight. Yeah. I can see an argument to both sides, honestly. I can't see, but I can see why the sponsors would say that otherwise. Hey, 
the less you say, the better, because it incriminates us less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's going to cover your face, Chris. I apologize in advance. Yeah, no worries. Chris is gone. Chris, are you there? Are you there, uh, Chris? I'm in the, I'm oh, in the okay. stratosphere. This is like peekaboo with little kids. Chris? I'm in limbo. Justin Goodarts. Without having read this, that makes three of us, Justin. Does it have to do with duplicate participants? So far, no. Just taking a shot in the dark, but knowing this is a huge issue in research, especially in Florida, sites consistently receive 483 surrounding this issue. Is there any reason why all site sponsors and CROs are not proactively implementing solutions to prevent this? So when you say duplicate, just just when you say duplicate participants, do you mean duplicate for the same study at two different sites or the same site, same PI, same <laughs> study? Because I can see that happening too. Hey, we'll just make you a different person. Yeah. Just don't do it, guys. But that doesn't look like that's in this letter. No. Uh, let's just finish these comments real quick and continue. Severe lack of staff oversight in general. How can you enroll anyone without proper documentation? Becky says, wow. Well, happens, Becky. Verified clinical trials can prevent site fraud and duplicate participants. Yeah, there's... I don't think that's anything to do with this. Though. Well, let's see. It's the showing of intent. Thank you, Carol. Exactly what I believe. Was the violation intentional or by chance? Warning letter slash 483. And were there any mitigation efforts to attempt to prevent? So if you guys watching, if you make mistakes, like IE criteria mistakes, it's all like the FDA does consider intent. Go yep. back and correct it. File your deviation. And don't repeat it. And don't knowingly do it. Like this this case, clearly that that's what happened. It's unfortunate. Mm, I don't know if it's unfortunate. I mean, I'm sure the PI thinks it was unfortunate he got caught. I don't know. I don't know the PI. Who knows? A number of things could happen. If you're intentionally... In it could be. Look, a lot of these SMOs run the business for the PIs. Sorry, man. If you're intentionally enrolling patients that don't qualify intentionally and the FDA is aware of this, yeah, it's your own fault. But I, it is. But oftentimes, not often, many times these PIs are the victims themselves. Sure. They have no idea what's going on. And that would kind of you know lead back to the other problem in research, and that's principal investigator oversight. That's right. So, and that could be the case, but, you know. A lot of these SMOs, at least the way they used to operate. I mean, you know better than I do, Chris. Yep. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, you're signing that 1572. You got to know what you're getting into. And what's going on in your site and with your patients. Shirley says you are not to interact with the inspectors during audits. It distracts them. Well, yeah, Shirley, but if I'm a doctor and my my ability to do research is on the line, I'm, I'm taking my chance and doing it like strategically. I'm doing it like I'm not doing it like just reactionary, but I'm doing it to show them that I care and I have oversight. I think the way to go with that would be maybe at the end of each day when they're done, you know, they're packing up yeah. just to step in the room and say, hey, is yep. there anything I can address that while it's fresh on your mind? I would agree with that. Yeah. Don't disturb them throughout the day while they're working. But don't just like also not be seen for two. That's weeks. what I'm saying. At the end of the day, if you're going to go dance route, it would be as they're getting ready to leave. I'd probably do that if I were the PI. I'm not a PI. I will never be a PI. But um, okay, so the next, so this one was about 
intentionally randomizing when you know you shouldn't have and trying to hide it. The next part was e-diaries. I'm telling you guys and gals, these e-diaries, we are not ready for them. These e-diaries become source. And what essentially happens is anytime you're giving source to patients and you're giving it to them to do on their own at home on days that are not visits. We are trained as sites. Like the paradigm is when there's a visit, we make sure things are going properly. But when the patient's not here, the e-diary is just going to take care of itself. And we got to, I mean, these are gaining more prevalence. We've got to change this paradigm. I'm My site, we're figuring that out too. Like, hey, we're going to make sure that we take these e-diaries seriously. So the protocol required subjects to have e-diary documentation during the last 35 days before day one to be eligible. So they had to do some e-diary things. It's not telling us what it is. You failed to adhere to this requirement. Specifically, one subject was randomized with 12 days of one diary and zero days of another. As such, the subject did not have the required e-diary documentation and an average score of whatever it is. Yeah, so it's a test run. It's to make sure that they're going to complete their diaries throughout the trial before they can randomize. I've been on studies like this. Something like that or in pain, they do like placebo washout where they make sure you're like getting rid of placebo responders. In diabetes, you're seeing if their glucose goes above or below a certain level. Like it's a lot of it safety and a lot of it, you're right, is um, testing compliance and things like that. Test runs. Right. 80 to 120 percent compliant, something like that. So, so one of the patients didn't have e-diary entries to support eligibility in the written response. They indicated that part of the CAPA plan, they will update the periodic review process to verify that subject e-diaries entries include the information required by protocol. This is the part where sites, any site could be guilty of this right here. Like you should have quality and I'm in the process of redesigning some of our Creo e-source to make sure that we kind of don't run into this issue because it's very tempting to consider these diaries an afterthought. But they are source. And it's important. And the FDA is starting to crack down on it. And we're trained as sites. I'm telling you, this is a visit. This is a visit. In between these visits, yeah, they're doing diaries, but those are not visits. Well, we need to figure out how to make sure what the patients are doing, number one, they're doing it, and number two, that they're doing it properly. Who was it we were talking to about e-diaries not too long ago? And I believe it was on uh, one of these live shows. Yeah. They were saying sites are well underpaid for what's required to properly maintain an e-diary. I think he wants to stay off the record right now. Yeah, but I think they were on live, weren't they? Right, but I'm telling you, he wants to stay off the record maybe. Okay, so you do know what I'm talking about. And (laughs) I think they were saying something like two, three $300 per entry or something like that. So so I could properly maintain and review, contact the patient for retraining. Just that these e-diaries are very involved, which I don't disagree with. 
but that's just not what sponsors are paying at this point. Right. And if we're going to do this paradigm shift, like, I mean, maybe it starts at budgets too, Chris. Like, I don't know. We might have to figure out how to make this align properly. Um, because we're essentially taking, because of e-diary, we're essentially making non-visits important, just as important as visits. Yeah. But we're not really getting paid for it, right? We're getting paid to like make sure they're eligible. Mm-hmm. But the paradigm's broken. I'm telling you, there's something here that just sites are not getting it. And everyone, all of us, it wasn't until recently that we switched our approach. Like these e-diaries are source. Uh, in your written response, okay. While we acknowledge the action your site plans to take, your response is inadequate because you did not provide sufficient details about the proposed updates or how you intend to implement these updates. See, this is where the modifying your source. Creo actually makes this easy. You can put an extra checkpoint in there. Was eDiary compliance checked? And you can't skip past that to randomize. So someone's going to have to go remember to say, hey, let me check. Of course, you can just check yes and not actually check just to get past that roadblock. But you're putting more friction in place to like prevent inadvertent randomizations. So do you think the FDA would be sympathetic to the argument of a PI stating, you know, the sponsor wasn't paying me to do all this extra work? Nope. Yeah, I don't think so either. They don't care about that. Yeah. You agreed to the budget. You signed it. Yeah. Or sometimes they don't sign it, though. But you signed the 1572. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, another one. Protocol required subjects to have safety imaging procedures performed during the screening and at month 6, month 12, month 18, month 24. We were to be performed at the premature discontinuation visit. The protocol required scans to be conducted during the study to assess study-specific safety stopping criteria for bone mineral density. Additionally, the protocol required subjects to be withdrawn if the subject develops clinically significant gynecological findings or conditions on. Uh, so they these are like clearly a safety assessment and they failed to adhere. Specifically, they didn't obtain imaging for one patient at month 12 and month 18. For another one, they didn't get it at month six. For another one, so they didn't get the imaging, which is like a very important part of the study. Uh, these are protocol deviation or violations because they affect safety. You acknowledge that the protocol required study imaging were in place to help ensure safety. You stated many of the issues occurred during the COVID pandemic. Ah, here's the old let's blame COVID uh, excuse. We couldn't get imaging because of COVID. However, we note that the missed safety imaging referenced above occurred before the start of COVID. <laughs> so they tried to use that excuse, but it was not even COVID wasn't even a thing yet. And you also stated your attempts to encourage compliance, but that your attempts were unsuccessful. So in the corrective action plan, they put that they would establish procedures regarding quarterly compliance checks. Your response is inadequate because you failed to provide details about your corrective action plan. For example, you did not provide details about the process for the proposed quarterly compliance checks or details about the procedures that you will implement. We emphasize 
failure to conduct the clinical investigation in accordance with the protocol raises significant concerns. And this is not, we're not talking about like an exploratory endpoint that they decided, hey, you know what, we can't do it. No, this was like a key safety assessment. Don't mess with those. You know, it's funny because I think that excuse of COVID may have actually worked for a, a 483 in the first visit by the FDA. It may have carried some weight, not worked per se, but carried some weight. It's the fact that these people have already, this site has already been warned, right? They already had a 483. They've already been out for this issue. And this was well before COVID, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And now following up, well, now we're going to blame COVID for that same error we were making. So yeah. Yeah, it's going to carry no weight. There's no excuse they could make other than just doing as they were told they need to do. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, they said it's not all inclusive. These are like the main things we found on our second or third go around. <laughs> Who knows how many audits they had prior to this. Um, well, we got some quiet people like this. I'm telling you the spicy, man. You also got a text question. Man, people are just finding off channel ways to communicate. <laughs> Guru Nation, do you think e-diary is part of source? And if if it should be revered, like I learned recently. Curious. All right. Let us know. Meanwhile, we got more questions. I've got a little bit of time left. So you're not gonna get to, you're gonna be late for your, your meeting. <laughs> well, let's go through some of these quick, all right? I get the verified clinical trials, Justin. There's nothing to do with that, but I get it. Like sites need that. Now, sites need to make sure it's duplicate subjects. Uh, internal strict QC process prevents such instances, especially during. I know. Kate, shout out Casey Figueroa. She's the new QC person for Yuma Clinical Trials. Doing I mean, this, remotely. This is certainly true, but unfortunately, that's not what's going on with this particular investigator, it seems. Why? Maybe greed or maybe just. It's too hard. No, it's it's greed. <laughs> I mean, that's be what my money's on. A1C glucose level. A1, yep. A1C site staff should review those tablets. Most sites had it in their budget, but not doing it. Well, there you go. Commenter on my texts. E-diary compliance absolutely important. I agree, and I think if you ask sites, they would say the same. And then if you see what how they behave, you would see the opposite. And this is what I'm talking about. This paradigm needs to shift. Maybe we need to do put in the budget somehow. Well, if, most sites will tell you that the diaries are a pain in the ass. Right, right? but that's they're not going anywhere. And, and they will they will approach it in that vein. Right. Well, then they'll have a similar letter at some yeah, point. Potentially. If you think it's not enough money or no money for the amount of work, says Shirley, the sites are to request for a clinical trial agreement amendment. I agree. Sure. Yeah. Checking e-diaries regularly and should be budgeted at the study start. Also be recorded as deviation of no entries. Uh, yeah. Duplicate subjects. Our network in South Florida has been working to gain buy-in from our all independent research sites. Eat anything should be part of source and reviewed for accuracy. There you go. We take the debt, Carla Varanavas. What a way to end it. I'm done because I got to jump on this call. What are your closing remarks on all this, Chris? 
Yeah, interesting. Um, again, I just find it funny that it was Miami. Are you going back to the site today to implement any changes because of this? No. Okay. Fair enough. I think we already have, but I'm modifying Creo. Shout out to Creo, one of our sponsors. I'm modifying um, Creo to make sure like these we have more checkpoints in place. So to to everybody that's watching, the reason I find it humorous about Miami is Dan and I work on bringing studies to sites, and by far and away, the area that's excluded from research the most is Miami. Uh, we work directly with sponsors. Hey, do you have any sites in your network that would be interested in this particular study? We're not looking for Miami sites. You ask them why, and they either have one of two reasons, fraud or we already have enough Miami sites. Right. It's one of those two reasons. So, and, and it's they do legit say fraud. So that's why I find it funny. And it's not fair to the, there are plenty of excellent sites in Miami. Sure. And all through Florida. They still gr grouped right in, unfortunately. Yep. See, Carla says, I had to add several checkpoints in Creo as well. This is what I'm currently doing now. Between now and the end of the year for the studies we have, that's what I'm trying to do. All right. I got to jump on, actually, a call with Creo. Do you want to join me, Chris? No. I know nothing of Creo. Perfect. I'll send you the Zoom link. No, I don't want to jump on. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. <laughs> I'll catch you later. Thank you, everybody, everybody else. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.